Good morning. Please turn in your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 2. I was waiting for gasps, sighs. Someone has already said, so are we just all willy-nilly all over the Bible now? Is that what we're doing? I, I had hoped uh, that before I go on uh, the trip that I'm taking, I would be able to finish the book of Ecclesiastes. And that just became more and more evident that that was not going to happen. So there's going to be a break in our study of Ecclesiastes. And uh, I decided we'll do that now. Uh, and, and it'll give me opportunity to prepare for, for my trip. Um, this morning and for the next three weeks, we are taking a short excursus from our regular systematic exposition to briefly consider the topic of the Lord's church. Now, we all probably think we have a good understanding of what the church is. After all, we are in church. So, so surely we know what church is and we understand it, but... I, I do believe that we will benefit greatly from a careful contemplation of what the scripture teaches us about the church. What did Jesus say about the church? What were the apostles instructions as they planted churches, as they set things in order in those congregations? What error might we hold in our understanding of the church? And how might we be stronger? How might we as members of this local New Testament Church of Jesus Christ be stronger? And how might we as the members of a local church uh, be more unified, uh, stronger in our unity together and stronger in our union with Christ? Uh, it, it occurred to me, and you, you're going to think, well, wow, you're just not thinking. I'm thinking in terms of this church thing, but today our text from Acts 2, it occurred to me, I preached through the book of Acts, and it, it never dawned on me to look back at my notes from the sermons that I preached through this text. So this is this is from whole cloth, I guess, new. this is new, but because it came from the same text of Scripture, the Bible hasn't changed. There are similarities. I did this morning look at my sermon and say, oh, no, that's, that's some of the same stuff. But it's been long enough that you've either forgotten it or you need a refresher. Church, we, we walk together. Amen. And, and this journey as we walk together is long and hard. And there are many obstacles in our way. There are many enemies that we encounter along the way. And the only hope that we will have the tenacity and the intestinal fortitude that is required to stay the course, the only hope to be good and faithful servants is if we know that we're going the right way. If the direction of our church is set by the compass of Scripture, then we will be more likely to, to, to show up and to show courage and determination to fight the good fight and finish the course. But if our course is mapped out by anything other than Scripture, anything besides Scripture, 
then we will, number one, we'll never be in agreement. And, and we will soon be scattered. Sometimes we see churches that are physically scattered and dispersed. And sometimes we see churches where all the people are still meeting in the same place, but they are scattered because there is no unity. There is no common direction and common belief about where they should go. So we want our, we want our compass to be set by scripture. Acts chapter two, we're going to read verses 41 through 47. Acts two, 41 through 47. So then those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. God, we pray that you would add your blessing to your word. In Christ's name, amen. In thinking about the church, in reading about the church, things that have been written, and, and I have read some really good writing about the church, and I have read some really bad writing about the church, and I'm sad to report, there's more bad stuff out there than there is good stuff. But I have wondered in studying about the church, has there ever been a time in history when there's been more misunderstanding, more error, more bad teaching about the church? Some believe that the church is nothing more, nothing greater than a social club where people develop friendships. I'm reminded my pastor growing up used to say, the church is not so much an organization as it's an organism. We are the body of Christ. And some people think of the church just as any old organization, social club. We come and we develop friendships. Others think the church is, is a place where you can be a Christian, but you don't have to be connected to the church. You can be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, redeemed and headed to heaven, but you do not have to be a part of a local church body. You might hear, well, I am a Christian, but I'm not really a church person. You might hear, I'm part of the universal church, the invisible church, the global church, but not part of a local church. And if you don't know, that's wrong thinking. There are those who are part of a church simply because they were brought up in church. And though they are not truly Christians, they can't imagine life without being a member and, and, a, and a participating member in a church. 
as error and misunderstanding concerning the church is so widespread, it's not just lost people, it's not just those people out there who have misunderstandings, but Christians often have wrong thinking about the church. Christians either neglect, I should say Christians often either, either neglect church attendance or Christians often attend the church with a low view of what the church is. We're just coming back to the same old place, the same place we were last week. We're going to sing the same kind of songs. We're going to say the same kind of prayers. We're going to hear the same guy say the same kind of stuff. Blah, blah, blah. We have a low view often of church. But friends, if Jesus Christ founded the church, and he did. If he has called men and women out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the world to be members of the church, and he has. And if Jesus loves the church and gave himself for it, and he did. How can we have lackadaisical attitudes toward the church? If we love Jesus, we ought to love his bride, the church. And we ought to strive, Christians, we ought to strive to be churchmen and churchwomen seeking the prosperity and spiritual purity of the church. Consider, if you will, the events of the conversion of the Apostle Paul for just a moment. As Saul of Tarsus, uh, he traveled zealously persecuting the Christian church. And in Acts 9, we read of the day when Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus, knocked him to the ground and asked this question, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus so closely identified with his bride, the church, that he didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He didn't even say, why are you persecuting my bride? Why are you persecuting me? Friends, when the church is persecuted, Jesus takes it seriously. Jesus takes it personally. And if Jesus so relates and identifies with the church, shouldn't we who say we love him be deeply convicted and passionately protective of the church? Amen. I have a friend who would say, I'm preaching better than y'all are letting on. So this morning, we want to spend some time looking to Scripture to define the church and to understand the purpose of the church. I titled the message, What is the Church? What is its purpose? First, our text in Acts gives, uh, in Acts chapter 2, it gives us at the very beginning, it, it gives us kind of a an embryonic definition of the church. Verse 41 tells us the Lord that souls were added. Souls were added 
3,000 that day were added. And then in verse 47, we find that the Lord continued to add. Well, this is telling us something about the church. If the Lord added to the church, then there was something in existence to add to. <laughs> so the, the, the church wasn't created on that day. It was added to on that day. If he added to the church, the church had already begun. And we know that Jesus began the church on the shores of Galilee as he called the apostles who would serve as founding pastors and, and church planters. And now after his death and resurrection, after his ascension into heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit and 3,000 souls are saved and baptized and added to the church. So the church had already existed. The church was added to, but who was added? Who makes up the church? Who was added here? It wasn't everybody. Anybody and everybody wasn't just added. No, look at verse 41. It was those who had received the word of God and were baptized. They were the ones who were added. So the, the progression is this. They heard the word. And then there were those who received the word. That is, they believed. They, they placed their faith in Christ and repented of their sin. And then they were baptized and those were added to the church. And while some came to Jerusalem and heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and believed, repenting of their sin and then returned to their homes in another city or in some far off place, there were a great number of these new Christians who stayed in Jerusalem and formed a particular local congregation of the church. We see this congregation of the church in Jerusalem throughout the New Testament, referred to in various places. So who makes up the church? The particular local congregation of the church of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem was made up of men and women who had heard the word of Christ. They heard the gospel. They had received it. That is, they had believed in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sin. They had been baptized as a sign of their union and sharing in the death and resurrection of Christ. This is the makeup of the church in Jerusalem. And this is the makeup of all the churches that we read about in the New Testament. The churches of the New Testament were made up of baptized believers. And this should be the constitution of any true church of Jesus Christ today until our Lord returns, baptized believers. So this is who makes up the church, who was added to the church. But we also see in this text the purpose of the church. What is the purpose of the church? Now I will tell you, when I first entered ministry, uh, a, a man, a, a pastor recommended that I read a book called The Purpose Driven Church. And I read that book and I took notes as I read throughout that book. And I have since gone back to that book and looked at my notes that I had in the front cover and in the margin and thanked God that he has kept me from any of those things that I thought back then. Because they weren't good thoughts. But you're going to hear a quote from The Purpose Driven Church. In his book, The Purpose Driven Church, Rick Warren said this, once you know your target, 
it will determine many of the components of your service. I had to edit that sentence slightly, but I agree with it as I have edited it. <laughs> Once you know your target, it will determine many of the components of your service. Now, the thing that I disagree with is the target that Mr. Warren says the church should be after. Um, he identifies a target and says that we should identify a target, and, and I disagree. Warren thinks the church should target those who he calls seekers. He thinks the church then should cater to those seekers. And, and this is a very common idea in our day. Many churches are tailored to attract seekers, to be seeker sensitive. But let me tell you this, I even know of churches who would, who would hate the word seeker sensitive. They frown at that movement, but what they are in their makeup and in their organization is basically seeker sensitive basically after the seekers. Seeking the, the, the seeker, as Mr. Warren says we should do, many churches have customized their music style and even their sermon content to appeal to unbelievers, the unbelieving seeker. They also introduce components of creativity meant to meet the felt needs of the seeker. And this is great error. To think the purpose of the church is for unbelievers. It, it, I want to say this clearly because I, I want to make sure that we get it out. And I, sometimes I say things that shock you. Buckle up. To think that the church, the purpose of the church is to evangelize unbelievers is error. That is not the purpose of the church. But wait a minute, I've always been taught that's the purpose of the church. I know, me too. But let's look at the Bible. That's not the purpose of the church. Now I'm getting off my notes here a little bit, so we might have to review some stuff. We might recover some stuff. Here's the deal. Did he just say that the church is not to evangelize? Is that what he said? No, that's not what he said. I heard it. Let me tell you what he said. The purpose of the church is not evangelism. The purpose of the church is not to draw men to Christ. The purpose of the church is to lift up Christ. He said something like this. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. We are not here to evangelize. We are here to lift up Christ. And evangelism then is a product of lifting up Christ. It's great error to think that the church is for unbelievers. Those who build seeker-sensitive churches fail to recognize what the Bible teaches, that unbelievers don't know what they need. And whatever those seekers are seeking is self-centered. 
and not Christ-centered. So, boy, we don't want to be that seeker-sensitive group. Let's react. But we must be careful not to react to error with error. Not to go, as my daddy said, out of the ditch on one side of the road, into the ditch on the other side of the road. Don't overcorrect, Christians. Overcorrecting like, like this, like tailoring the church to meet the needs of Christians. Tailoring the church to be a service-oriented business, meeting the needs of believers. Now, while this may sound like a better idea, this sounds like a better purpose for the church, and maybe it's a little closer, it still misses the biblical model. Tim Challies in commenting on this overcorrection says this, the problem is that the purpose of the church is the same consumerism only with a different target audience. So that too, tailoring the church for the lost, tailoring the church for the Christian, both consumerism. It shapes the church around the wants and the needs of a particular target people. Dr. Carl Truman said this, when church is just one more product to either buy or leave on the shelf, then marketing, not theology, becomes the driving force in church life. So, what is the purpose of the church? It's not for the lost. It's not for the saved. There's nobody left, right? <laughs> the purpose of the church, I, I think, is, is most succinctly answered in the catechism question, what's the chief end of man? The answer comes to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And while that is not a direct quote from scripture, it does, it does reflect Bible truth. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says it this way. Fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole duty of man. It's not that we... Our purpose is directed toward the lost or our purpose is directed toward the saved. Our purpose is directed toward God. Fear God. Keep his commandments. This is the duty of man. We glorify God. This is the purpose of the church. Charles Bridges says the church is the mirror that reflects the whole radiance of the divine character. In the, in the grand scene, in, it is the grand scene in which the perfections of Jehovah are displayed to the universe. Now listen, you remember that old saying, your life is the only Bible some people will ever read? Church. This morning in, in Sunday school, Brother Cruz mentioned the pictures of Jesus. He mentioned the word of God and the Lord's table. These are God-given pictures. You want a photograph of Jesus? This is it. Don't complain that you want something else. God has given us what we need for pictures of Jesus, but he's given one more picture to the world, and that is the bride of Christ. We are to adorn the gospel. We are what people will look to when they want to know about Jesus. 
Now we very quickly want to take them to the word, but we need to be that the church is the mirror that reflects the whole radiance of the divine character. So let us consider this churches. And I'm talking about individual groups that meet and we can go ahead and say some of those churches that are out there, we kind of need to air quote church, right? Some of, sometimes we need to air quote. Some churches are what our confession would call synagogues of Satan. But we're, right now I'm going to talk about all those, these groups, these meetings of, of bodies calling themselves the church. Churches with different stated purposes will sometimes do the same stuff. Sometimes uh, churches with different stated purposes will sometimes do the same stuff. The seeker sensitive church, the Christian service church. And the God's glory church may all sing songs, pray prayers, and listen to a sermon. But the motivation, the driving purpose, why we do those things is different. And, and because the the motivation behind our activities is different. Our purpose is different. Many of the things that we do look vastly different. Sometimes I think people wonder if we do church the way we do it because we don't know how to do that other thing. <laughs> to my shame, I've done that other thing. Praise God, he's delivered us out of that. We do what we do to serve our purpose, and that is the glory of God. I'm giving away the end, and we got to get going. Y'all have got to stay on track. A church who believes its purpose is evangelism is ultimately seeker-sensitive, whether they call themselves that or not. And a church who believes its ultimate purpose is evangelism will neglect certain elements of worship because they're not well-liked by the congregation. A, a church who believes its purpose is to serve Christians may have a larger counseling or benevolence efforts. They may have soup kitchens and clothing drives and things like that. And a God-glorifying church may have a counseling ministry. We may have a benevolence ministry, but those things will be done only in service to the glorifying of God. A God-glorifying church will certainly evangelize, will certainly preach the gospel, but we evangelize in service to glorifying God. And Charlie said this, we, when we understand that the local church exists by God and for God, we see that God's glory, not the needs of saved or unsaved people, is meant to be the ultimate determining factor for all that we do. We seek to glorify God through worship, through the building up of God's people, and through evangelism. Now that we've identified our target, and it's not the unsaved, and it's not the saved, our target is God and His glory. Now that we've identified our target, we should not, church, become creative. There's 
too much creativity in church, folks. I'm not talking about in general creativity. I'm talking about creativity in worship. There's too much creativity. We should not try to imagine what would please God. We should not try to imagine what would bring God glory. He's written a book. He's told us what to do. He's given us the answer. And we go to the scripture. Now today, we've got to hurry. I want to go to Acts 42, uh, or chapter 2, verse 42, and, and see this, and I'll try to hurry. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. These are the activities that were done in the early church to, to the glory of God. And these are the activities that we should see in churches. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So somebody asked, well, this is, this is first in the list, but it's also first in priority. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. How are we going to do that? Are we, do we have any apostles? Show of hands, any apostles? <laughs> Don't ask. You shouldn't ask stuff like that because you might get surprised. Um, there are no more apostles. The apostles are gone. So we're not going to have the apostles show up. And apostleship was not an office that had a line of succession. There were the apostles that Jesus Christ chose, and that was it. There were no more after that. So we don't have apostles today. So we don't have apostles teaching in that way. But what do we have? We do have the apostles teaching delivered to us by the under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and by the preservation of the Holy Spirit in the word of God. We have the apostles teaching. By the apostles teaching, what is meant for us is the Bible. The apostles taught the truths that we have in the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. This is what they taught. This is what we have. And we, we had a man come to our church so many years ago and he said, well, I need a Bible. I just want to know at the door. I mean, we're at the glass door. Well, I need a Bible this morning because I've been to some churches. I haven't needed a Bible yet. Uh, we were glad to tell him he's going to need it. You're going to need a Bible. You're going to need that. Uh, we, we, Assured that man that, that the scripture is central to what we do here. And it's because it's the primary way that we glorify the risen Christ. We do what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Give attention to the public reading of scripture, to the exhortation and teaching. That is the preaching and teaching of the scripture. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, be absorbed in the scripture. Pay attention to the teaching, to the doctrine, and to the way that you live it out as an example because these are important things. So when we come together, we, we will not always fulfill the purpose of the church unless the word of God is preached. Uh, if the word of God is not preached, we fall short of our efforts in glorifying God. The word of God must be preached to bring God glory. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to those who are being saved by it, it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The purpose of the church to glorify God is reiterated in Ephesians 2.19 where we read, So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Here, the apostles and the prophets is the code word for the scripture. Whereas in Acts 2, we have, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, meaning the scripture. 
Let's continue to move on. The, the scripture is mentioned here, but not just so we have scripture everywhere, but it says they were continually devoting themselves. They were continually devoting. Now, continually devoting may remind us that a one-time crisis of devotion is not sufficient to hold the heart of a Christian, the heart and mind, where it should be. Devotion to the Word of God is a continual action, a continual striving. So they were continually striving. That's why we ought to see devotion to the Word of God. It's a continual striving. It also, continual devotion, speaks to the unending nature of this devotion as long as we are on the earth. Christians, I, I preached a message a few weeks ago about being satisfied, about being content. Did you know there are some things that we should be discontent about? That we should be dissatisfied. I hope you are never content. I hope you are never satisfied with yourself in certain things. And one of those things is scripture. We need to know more. We need to obey more. We need to grow more. We could add prayer to that. But we need to, we need to be discontent in those things. Continual devotion is a continually increasing devotion. Continual devotion is the life of the church and each member of the church. The purpose of the church is fulfilled. That is, God is glorified in faithful teaching and preaching of scripture as the members are continually devoted to it. That's not that Pastor Brent and I should be continually devoted. We should, but that is also you, continually devoted. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, I grew up in a church. We had a lot of fellowship. Here's what fellowship meant in the church I grew up. There's going to be cookies and Kool-Aid. That's what fellowship means. There's going to be cookies and Kool-Aid. We met for a lot of things, but if it was a fellowship, there's going to be cookies and Kool-Aid. That is not the definition of That is not a good definition of fellowship. I hear people saying when they're going to have a dinner party at their house, we're going to have fellowship. Well, maybe not. It depends on who's coming and what you talk about when you get there. Fellowship that is mentioned here is mentioned in conjunction and in relation to the continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching. It's mentioned in, in conjunction and in relation to the scriptures. This fellowship is a sharing in one another's lives. We might call it community, but community, not community for community's sake. This fellowship, this type of Christian community is centered around scripture. This fellowship is primarily and continuously being fed, being energized, being informed by the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. That's fellowship. We give ourselves to it. If you wonder if you have true Christian fellowship, ask yourself whether those relationships are anchored in Scripture. With true Christian fellowships anchored in Scripture in the teaching and preaching ministry of the church, God is glorified and the church fulfills its purpose. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. Some take the breaking of bread, that phrase, to mean the sharing of any meals together. And we're going to see the use of it to mean that a little bit later. But here, the context of this and the context of the New Testament leads us to see the breaking of bread as it is used here means the sacrament, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not for individual Christians. The Lord's Supper is not for 
groups of Christians who meet together informally. We don't take the Lord's Supper at our Christian conferences, our associational gatherings. We don't take the Lord's Supper at our dinner parties or at our family worship time. We don't take the Lord's Supper just with Christian friends. The ordinance is a church ordinance, a local church ordinance, and it should be celebrated with the church as a church. We also see the connection here with the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table to the apostles teaching. The Lord's table is not observed absent from the preaching of the word. After we hear the word preached and after we respond to it, we come to the Lord's table in communion with Christ. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Can I just say here, just very quickly, that this, I'm not giving this as much as it deserves. It is impossible to overstate the importance of prayer in the life of a Christian and in the life of a church. We are instructed to pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray for your enemies. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for, every, pray for your pastors. Pray for your governmental leaders. Pray one on one. Pray for one another, but pray with one another. We do not believe that there's power in prayer. Maybe you didn't know that about our church. We do not believe there is power in prayer. One more time. We do not believe there's power in prayer. We believe that God is all powerful and he is the one to whom we pray. We believe that God is the one who answers prayer. So we don't pray because there's there's power in prayer. Sounds like you say some magic words and stuff happens. No, God is the one. We pray to an all powerful God who answers prayer. They were continually voting, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we, the New Testament Apostolic Church, until the Lord returns, must know that our purpose is to glorify God and. We do that through continually devoting ourselves to the word, read, reading and preaching, to fellowship rooted and grounded in the doctrines of scripture, to the sacrament of the Lord's table, and to prayer. 43 and following goes on to see things that you should expect. Just let's very quickly, 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many signs and wonders were taken. Now the signs and wonders are gone. They passed away with the apostles. But the, the sense of awe, we need to be, we need to be looking, we need to be awake, paying attention. And then how can we come and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ? How can we come and lift him up and glorify God and not be in awe? We need, we need that. Sometimes, sometimes Baptists, we are so afraid of those emotionally led people that we say, no emotions. How foolish, how, how, how terrible. Verse 44 and 45, they had, those who believed had all things in common. They were selling their property and possessions. Some have misunderstood this text to have some sort of a communist lifestyle where no one owned anything and they were... This is clearly not the teaching of the New Testament. Personal property and ownership of stuff 
is throughout the New Testament. You just need to go looking for it and don't take this out of context. Here's what we do see in these verses. There was a sensitivity for the needs of the congregation. There was a sensitivity for the needs of brothers and sisters in that local church. And when there was a need, those who had sacrificed in order to meet those needs. They loved one another in that way. I'm glad to see this kind of thing in our church fellowship. Verse 46, they, day by day they continued with one mind in the temple. Here we have sharing of meals, breaking bread from house to house, taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity. This one-mindedness and sharing their meals, this is singleness of mind. It speaks to peace and unity and, and, it, and it speaks to sharing meals together. They had a heartfelt love for one another. They had a care for one another. We have cause to thank God that at Waco Family Baptist Church, we have this kind of environment where we love one another. We should not take it for granted. Peace and unity are not natural products of the human heart. They are by the grace of God. So it's by God's grace that we devote ourselves to his word, that we submit ourselves to it. It's by God's grace so let us pray that God will allow a continued season of peace and unity in our church around God and his word. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. As God works in us and through us, as we seek to fulfill the purpose of the church glorifying God, we'll be praising God and the world will be attracted to what we are becoming in Christ. There's an attractiveness. May God grant that we would be more and more this kind of church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. God, forgive us where we have had low views of your church, where we have neglected your church, where we have, where we have even talked about, gossiped about your church, backbiting and gossiping about one another. God, forgive us for that. Help us, show us, strengthen us, teach us that we might be the bride that you would have us to be, that we might truly adorn the gospel, that we might truly glorify you through the blood of Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit in obedience to your word. We pray this in Christ's name.